Hi there, and welcome to Fantasy for the Ages, the show where father and son sit down and talk about fantasy books. I'm the son of that equation, Zach. And I'm the father, Jim. Thanks for joining us again for another one of our episodes as we move further into the Wheel of Time. This being an episode focused on the fires of heaven. Woohoo! As I watched the intro photos go by, I was reminded I need to edit new pictures. Yeah, those are like two years old now. Because we did that vacation recently. We got a whole bunch of photos now that we could draw on. I'll get that updated. How you doing today, Zach? I am doing quite well. It's been a nice day. I'm back home again after some holiday travel here. Nice. Did you see any weather? I saw there might have even been snow down by Texas. We didn't get any snow where I was. Uh, Texas okay. is a big place. However, I did hear <laughs> Lubbock was getting some, which is the complete other side of Texas. Yes. Okay. But not, it was kind of gross and raining and not ideal. Not the best driving weather last night, but we made it. We made it safely. And Rolly's glad to be home, too. There you go. I didn't travel at all. It was very relaxing. Well, uh, correction. Yesterday, your mother and I traveled 20 minutes north to go wine tasting. That's big travel plans. We did move some stuff, though. And mm. that is, we've decorated for Christmas. Mm. Since we didn't go anywhere, that was easy to do. The tree is up. Mom put the smaller tree up in the bonus room, decorated with all her teacher ornaments. And eh, mine, too. You know, she just had some fun. And the place looks like Christmas. Nobody else will be here. But she does plan to host a staff Christmas party here at the house this year. So I think she was motivated for that reason, too. No kids allowed this time? Yeah, kids are evil. We don't, we don't, <laughs> we don't want kids. <laughs> oh, what you drinking uh, today, Zach? Uh, so it's still early enough that I am enjoying some coffee, but I made it a little boozy just because we're recording. Why wouldn't I? What are you drinking, Dad? Well, I've crafted a watt tail for us today. What do we got? I even made it pretty. Ooh, uh, is that a garnish? That's right. Wild. I got a wedge of lime on there. And this is called the Ashandari. It's primarily vodka, but it has added into it lime, little mm -hmm. lime juice, and cranberry juice. Ah, that's my first sip right there. Yeah, that'll do. Cuts like an Ashandari. Hmm. Fair enough. Although, humorously, uh -huh. That's still the rot cut vodka. I need to upgrade. What vodka do you use? Just like bottom Big shelf club jug? bottom shelf stuff. Mm -hmm. And we're moving beyond that. I got to use that stuff up. Then I'm mm -hmm. buying smaller bottles so mm -hmm. I can fit them all in my own bar. You know, yeah. The liquor cabinet. All right. Enough about the drinking. Uh, okay. As we go into a few notes here, I will say it is nice to see you since, you know, I started off the fires of heaven flying solo. Yeah, I'm not the happiest that this is my first fires of heaven episode. That being said, I can only blame my health for that. Mm -hmm. Had I been healthy enough to be here last time, I would have. But as it is, I'm excited for this episode. It's going to be great. You're back for a good one. Definitely. As always, as we talk Wheel of Time, working our way through, I'll remind listeners this is spoiler light. So we're not going to ruin anything beyond here. We will definitely today note some foreshadowing, things you ought to remember, but we won't tell you why, as we just focus on what's happening in these three chapters, two through four of the Fires of Heaven that we're covering today. A couple little notes before we dive into those chapters, though. We hit a new YouTube milestone this past <gasps> week. We've now hit over 2,000 views within the past four-week period. 
Woo! Yeah, we've never hit that high. And you know, one of the ones that's kind of putting us over the top there is your first tiny talk, which you did it's on new, Stormfront. It's What's that? It's new. It's different. Everyone's looking and going, who's this guy on the thumbnail? No, I think they're there for the dog. There is the dog. I showed Rachel that Roly got in on the thumbnail. I was very excited. <laughs> I think that's drawing in the viewers, man. <laughs> uh, you got over 22 hits already on that thing. And it's not even been out a full week, I don't think, since I loaded it. It's the second highest of our Tiny Talks. The first highest is our one on Origins of the Wheel of Time, because mm. everybody wants to hear about that one. It's hot. Hot commodity. But Stormfront's coming on strong. Well done, son. Well done, Roly. We've also picked up a few new subscribers with all these views, so happy to see that. Keep on coming, people. And with that mention, if this is your first time finding us here on YouTube, we'd love to see you subscribe. If you enjoy this video, like it, give us some comments, but definitely subscribe so that you see everything that we keep sending your way and check out the rest of the content here on the channel. I got just one other note then. I want to know what you're reading. What are you reading now, Zach? Uh, admittedly, it hasn't changed a whole lot. I've gotten to probably another like 300 pages along in Rhythm of War down here. Mm -hmm. But the other things that I'm reading slash have read recently finished, well, recently finished Stormfront down there. Clearly, we're reading Fires of Heaven up there. Can I pause you just a moment? Yeah. You said you got like another 300 pages of Rhythm of War done? Yeah. Which is like getting Stormfront done. Yeah, no, I've read basically an entire <laughs> book. It's just <laughs> just it wanted to give you some props like here, okay? This book. So <laughs> I have been reading over Thanksgiving. I just brought the biggest book in history. Yeah, how you I'm doing kidding. on? Uh, I pointed the wrong way. How you doing on this one here? Uh, I need to get started, considering I've got a week. Yeah, I'm almost <laughs> done with it. It's a really good one. I, it's, it's hard to read. stop reading this one, so you're gonna like it. All right, for me. You? I'm obviously reading Marita, Dragon Lady of Pern. I'm also reading Wrath, which is over there above your head in our video. Straight above. Book four of The Faithful of the Fallen, The Big Finish. Not quite halfway through it yet, but it's a good one. And then straight underneath me is the bottom oh of a book where you can't see the title called Awakening. Book one of The Commune's Curse. I'm not going to read any more of this book unless of this series, unless I really fall in love with it because i'm reading it for a competition where i'm judging it's by lucy by lucy a mclaren you can see it if you're watching the video gotcha but if you fall in love with it you might um so far it's actually started pretty good so i'm kind of interested i may end up reading the rest of this series which is a positive sign for an author all right that's what we're up to mm -hmm. let's talk some wheel of time now shall we sure the last chapter was all about our escapees from the white tower Gotcha. Just to refresh your memory there, Zach. And mm. their interaction with Lord Gareth Bryn. That might be going somewhere. It might not. No, I'm sure it has no no relevance or bearing for the rest of the story. <laughs> but in chapter two, we're going to turn to the events we had left right off at at the end of the previous book. So we return to Randall Thor and see what he's up to. Newly announced, not only as the Dragon Reborn, but also... He who comes with the Don, the Karakarn. In both cases, broke the Aiel. these titles, these things, they are prophesied beings that he apparently is. And in both cases, they're prophesied to unite, save, and destroy. Not necessarily in that order. Man. Rand, at this moment, is up in a tower of Ruidian. 
Now, Ruidian, remember, a partially built amazing city out in the middle of the Aeo Waste, previously mm -hmm. completely encased in a cloud bank. The cloud bank's not there anymore, but... No, it's been transformed by Rand's coming. All the clouds are gone. I can see clearly Yeah, let's now. go a step further. Yeah. It's not just been transformed by Rand's coming. It's not like he came shining down from the heavens and all was good. No, we saw he and Asmodian mess this place up. Totally. They messed it up. They did some serious damage on this place. So we'll talk about that in just a moment. But Rand, as he's up in a room in one of these towers, he's looking out at the window and his mind is pondering the things ahead of him here as this prophesied man. Elida had actually referenced in the prologue those prophecies, specifically mm -hmm. the ones that say the dragon reborn will shed his blood for the world. And Rand's like, okay, I got to do that. And I'm a man of duty. I will find a way to do what I'm prophesied to do. But do I really have to die? It's I mean, kind of what shed his blood. It could be a paper cut. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, does it have to be all the blood? <laughs> Is there another option to achieve the goals and still be, hey, I'm here? This is one of the things rocking through his mind. And as he's just kind of gazing out around Ruidian, as he's thinking about these things, he notices <laughs> the buildings, you know, a lot of them not finished, including the one he's in. But about a quarter of them are never going to be finished now because they are rubble. So you yeah. mentioned him and Asmodian going down, bam, bam, fight out, drag out in the last book. Yeah. They, they ripped out a whole bunch of the buildings. There's rubble everywhere. There's Oops. also, way down at the end of the city, something that wasn't there before. Do you remember what has appeared? Because they literally changed the geography of Ruidian. Okay, you don't remember yet. It's coming. I don't so remember we'll if it, it is there yet. That's why my well, brain's like... It is. is it we'll save it. It's coming up in the notes in just a minute. Rand can see, also, Moraine directing some workers in the loading of many odd sorts of objects, getting them loaded into carts. What's what's that about, Zach? What is, what is Rand seeing happening? These are, presumably, objects of power. Terra-Angriol, possibly Angriol, maybe even some Sa-Angriol. It, it's not entirely clear what all is or isn't there. We know Rand has some nice little statues that he picked up and put somewhere from yep. that horde we know there's a twisted redstone door frame in amongst these things somewhere because matt stumbled through that last book I, we know how these things got here too because of rand's journey through the glass columns at least we have a vague understanding of them being carried on carts and eventually stopped and left here by the aiel yes rand sees that hodden kadir is actually the one leading this work crew down below but whenever Moraine says something, I want that one, he hops to, gets the men to do the work. So he, he's following orders. Who's this Hadnan Kadir? I mean, he's probably not a good guy. <laughs> like, we don't know that, know that, but we thought he was bad last book when he was a random merchant we found in the waste. He had nasty eyes. The fact that two of his companions turned out to be Asmodian and Lanfear it doesn't win him a lot of points either. <laughs> so uh, now you missed, you mentioned that twisted redstone doorway and Rand yeah. observes two workers literally trying to get that into one of the carts and he can see it, it turns easily, but they can't tip it. You know, when you're going to pick up something big and tall, usually you would tip it. One mm -hmm. person grabs the top, one grabs the bottom. That is not happening. It resists 
And as they're struggling, one guy loses his balance and grip and falls through the archway. And everyone in the area sees half of him disappear. That's not There's just good. his legs laying on the ground now. Quick, grab those legs. Don't reach through to grab him. Grab the legs and hope you get more than just legs back. And that is what Lan does, by the way. He comes running up, yanks the guy out. But what just happened, Zach? What happened to the guy's top? It does I mean, come out. <laughs> half of him went to go take a conversation with the eel fin, but luckily he didn't go all the way in. Mm. It's a uh, event horizon of sorts. It's pretty darn disturbing is what it is. The guy's freaked out because he was just somewhere totally different. The people around him are like, ah! Moraine is quickly going around from person to person, giving them a chill pill. I'm curious, people who were on the other side, did they like see inside of the body? Was it just like a land cut off? Like, what do they see at the spot where it cuts between what he's still here and he's not? I'm really curious. I guess on the bland cut off. But, but that just like seems a solid like gray line. Why would it? That like I don't know why it would. I don't know why it wouldn't. It makes no sense. I don't sense know why you have way. a desire to see intestines. I have a desire to know how this would be done <laughs> in a film portrayal. Uh huh. Well, we may have the chance to find out, but this would probably be something easy enough to leave out of the TV series. Now, well, Ruidian, that angle. Talking a little bit more about it. It was once upon a time a place only certain Aiel were allowed to go. Anyone else try to go, they could be killed for it. But now, there are literally hundreds of them about. Some have even moved into the city. There are Aiel making their abode in various places around the city. Crops are being planted. And of course, that's possible. People living here, crops being irrigated in the middle of a desert mm -hmm. because at the far end of the valley, what I was referencing before, there is now what, Zach? There's a lake. Yes, when Asmodian and Ran broke Ruidian, it tapped into the, the water reservoir underneath, which came bubbling up and filled a lake on the south end of the valley. Dang. It just gives you a reminder of the amount of sheer power that these two were going at each other with. Another transformation. Rand looks there near the center of town. You can see Vendasora, the tree of life, not looking so lifey. They might have killed it. It went up in flames during their battle. It's just this charred ruin now. Moraine has confirmed it's still alive, actually. Mm -hmm. I guess it's tough to kill these things. Yeah, it's kind of hard to kill the tree of life. Uh, you know? So it's, it will heal itself. It will push out new growth, given time. And he's like, already. That time might be a thousand years, but it'll do it. But enough with the moody looking about. Rand turns away, then, from the window back into the room where he has not been alone. There's six men sitting cross-legged on the ground on some carpets with some cushions that have been brought into this room. These are six Aiel clan chiefs representing the clans that have come so far to follow he who comes with the dawn. So how many clans are there? Twelve. You remember? Twelve, correct. I believe it's twelve. It's half. And the one that is no more. That, that one doesn't count. You don't want to the count the, them? At all? I'm not going to count the Genaiel for the context of the clans that he's having come to support him that he's knowing about and counting for military force. Okay. So there are 12 potential clans that could be coming and supporting Rand. Six Correct. so far have thrown behind him. Ruark of the Tardad Aiel is one of them, one of these clan chiefs. And he's a man Rand considers potentially a friend. 
But as for the rest that are there, he still senses, you know, suspicion, a lack of ease, mm-hmm. the sense more that they're here out of duty to the prophesied Karakarn. Not that, Rand, you my boy. Mm-mm, none of it that. It doesn't yet. help that he basically came out and shared the biggest state secrets possible on the biggest public stage he could there is still some considerable dissension in the room over him yeah blurting the secrets now who are these men these other ones besides ruark we have bale of the goshin mm-hmm. jaren of the sharad okay han of the tomanel gotcha. ruan of the nakai mm-hmm. and aram of the charin so six total with ruark and they sit around chit-chatting they're talking business of the Aeol. The topics include what's it going to take to get the rest of the clans to support Rand. They're pretty much saying, you know, we, we think the others are going to come around eventually. Well, most of them. Uh, we'll get to one of them in a moment that maybe yeah. not so much. They're also talking about how many of the men and maidens have just been completely still stupefied. They're sitting in a state of shock over what Rand revealed. Some of the men have thrown their spears and just run away. And again, remind us, what was it that Rand revealed in case people haven't read the previous book in a while? Yeah, the biggest, most important thing here is that the Aiel once were servants of peace following the way of the leaf, and they abandoned that oath in picking up the spear. They are men of honor, not just men, but a people of honor. And yes, they learned they are oath breakers. This hits hard, man. This is the core of who they are is a lie. So yeah, the the chiefs are still like, and the wise ones too. Like, man, how could you have told them this? But he is here to break them. The missing clans, they have leaders who these chiefs basically say they have to pull their clans together first. They're feeling all pretty shaken up by the news. They're trying to hold them in, reassure them it's going to be okay. A couple of them, you might have to show those dragon tattoos again personally to convince them you are the Karakarn, but they'll come around. Mm-hmm. There's one clan that, nah, nothing you do is going to well, make a difference. There's one clan that doesn't have a chief to pull them together and make it have something that's a difference. It has a leader, but not a chief. And of course, we're talking about the those sucky stinking Shido. Shido. <laughs> now, the Shido, we do learn a few extra tidbits about. Uh, one, some of the Shido maidens have actually come and joined these clans. Mm-hmm. But not officially joining the clans. They've joined nope. their society. Far to rise my. And I don't know if it's explicitly said, but I always got the impression that while it was predominantly maidens that were doing this, there were some trickling in, in other societies. Yes and no. Very rare with any of the men yes it's the maidens are coming over from the shido because the maidens carry rand's honor yes that's a compelling thing the maidens it's more and mass it's a little stronger of a pull the men it's going the other way around more so yes guys who are dropping their spears abandoning their clans and going over to the Shido, but not joining the Shido, joining their societies in the Shido. This, so this is a problem. The Shido's numbers are growing because they have a number of these that are suffering from what the clan chiefs are calling the bleakness. They just, they don't see any point anymore. Mm-hmm. But they got to go somewhere. They go join their brothers amongst the Shido. Because there's really three 
answers to this bleakness. Either you follow the Karakarn, you throw everything down and just abandon all of it because you don't know what to do with yourself, or you go and pretend like everything's how it was, and you just reject what Rand said, you're now a Shido. Yep, that's exactly what the Shido are doing. Because they believe, they've convinced themselves, they're following the Karakarn. Because Kuladin's the Karakarn. They believe he is their clan chief, even though the wise ones and other chiefs know he never went into Ruidian. Kuladin says he did. And he's got those stinking tattoos. They believe, they've chosen to believe Kuladin, regardless of what the other clan chiefs and wise ones have said. They have self-deceived. They're buying the lies, because that's more comfortable than facing the truth. Rand has tried to reach out to Kuladin. Can we come to some understanding? Every messenger he sends has been has flayed alive. A body bag. <laughs> and in fact, comments Kuladin has made has made it clear that's what he'd like to do to Rand as well. He's not very nice. Mm-mm. Scouts are keeping an eye on the Shido. Scouts are being killed anytime they get too close to the Shido. The Shido's official story is they're keeping an eye on the rest of the bunch that's in Ruidian. The Defilers. You know, how dare they be in Ruidian? That's the place only certain... There's irony there. He did admittedly break Ruidian, but there is irony that Kuladin claims to have gone in there when he wasn't allowed to, and he's not the defiler. I see where you're guarding the honor of Ruidian, really? Now, the other chiefs are like, yeah, he's a punk coward, man. He's not... Because he says, and I'm, I'm watching them, but we're not going into attack like we should because we don't want to enhance the the defilement further the other chiefs are like yeah he doesn't have the numbers we so outnumber him they're chicken with the shido growing it's still six clans to one but that is a concern since you just mentioned it the shido are growing the longer we stay here the more people are in the shido camp what happens if the numbers tip so there's a little concern rand um dragon reborn karakarn buddy are you gonna do something (laughs) what's the plan and Rayan's plan right now is not to do anything it's to wait for these other clans to come to him he wants as many as he can behind him Mm -hmm. they discuss a few other things rand asks for what's known of what's happening on the other side of the dragon wall the what remind us what the dragon wall is zach it's the mountain range that separates the aeo waste from the rest of the western world aka Randland, aka the wetlands whatever you want to call them Gets a few tidbits from the reports. One, Rand's flag still flies over the Stone of Tear, which would mean... That nobody took it down. And more importantly, <laughs> nobody... Uh, it didn't blow just, away. <laughs> nobody proclaimed themselves a new ruler in Tear. No one invaded Tear. And none of these problems. They still fear him enough that they respect his authority. Yep. Because I'm not going to say they must, respect him. They must still look to Rand as their leader. Also, Terrans are in Kyrian, as Rand ordered, delivering food on their relief effort. There are some disparaging comments from the Aiel chiefs about the Kyrianans, specifically that Rand should have let the tree killers starve, and uh, they are fit for nothing except to be killed or sold as animals in Shara. Now, I want to break that down just a little bit. Remind mm-hmm. us why the Kyrianan are being called tree killers and that's with a capital t uh, tree because killers king layman 20 odd years ago so lame cut down a the cutting 
of Avendasora that had been given to them as a gift in repayment for the giving of water two, three thousand years ago. So nobody in Kyrian really knew why they had it, but they knew it was important. And Layman went, I'm gonna do this to show off my power. Instead, it just showed off how much of a target he was to the Aiel, and the Aiel hate the Kyrian, which is interesting because they don't like hate on Moraine for being Kyrian too much. So, like, I think the Sedai thing is just like way more powerfully there. Before Layman's sin, the cutting of that tree, the Kyrianin had the were the sole nation given the privilege to travel through the waste unmolested mm-hmm. and trade with whatever's on the other side. Aside from that, Gleeman and Tinkers, Tuatha'an, were the only ones who could travel through the Waste. Which was always a little bit of a misnomer, because the Kyrianen and Gleeman could travel through and interact with the Aiel. The Tinkers could do it because the Aiel wouldn't go near them. Run away! Run away! Yeah. But yes, they would go across the Waste and trade with the people over there. Now, the nation over there is what's known as Shara. So when they say... When the Aiel say they're only good for being sold as animals in Shara, what does that tell us about Shara? That apparently Shara's okay with slavery. Ding, ding, ding. Nobody knows a lot about Shara because historically they're an analogy for China, okay? The border is closed. You can come to the edge where there's trading posts, but you're never allowed to see outside the walls mm-hmm. of that town. They don't know what Shara is like because the Sharans won't permit it. And they were mentioned previously by the Sea Folk as well, who yes. occasionally have trade down in Shara, but they don't go into Shara. They just go to the port. They have some inter- yep. interaction. They know some of the goods, but that's as far as they go. There are rumors of times that Sea Folk have been blown off course, landed in the wrong place in Shara, and never been seen from again. Of course, I'm very curious where those rumors come and from. Right, not seen right? from again. <laughs> Skippy the Dolphin passed it on. Ah. Uh... All right, this meeting ends. The clan chiefs leave. Enter Moraine and Egwene. Rand, he remains tense around Moraine. Just senses she has too many plans for him. Too many ways she wants to use him. Egwene, of course, mm, that's someone Rand grew up with. So nominally, he could feel more comfortable around her. Except she's been training to become Aes Sedai. And now she's been training with the wise ones, too. So who knows what agendas she may have. Yeah, more and more, Egwene is growing into a powerful, compelling character that Rand doesn't recognize. Moraine makes a comment about those objects being gathered, being ready to travel soon. And Rand's like, whatever. He turns his back on the women. At which point he feels a solid whack across his shoulders like a stick. But being done with air, this is a thing of the power. Mm-hmm. He spins back around, kind of like, how dare you? And he embraces the source. And we're reminded when he embraces the source what that means to him. One, that eventually the power will drive him insane because That's of the dark ideal. one's taint. Yep. Mm. Holding the power feels amazing. The power of God. But reaching through the taint is nauseating literally almost makes him hurl gross exactly that's how he feels but now he's looking at these women and they both have the same identical smirk on their face so one of them did it not sure which no way to tell and since he can't tell he chooses not to bother pursuing it at this point which is the wiser action because he absolutely could have pursued both 
and just been in bigger trouble with having to deal with that mess. What Rand does do is demand to know what Moraine wants of him and refers to her as little sister. What? <laughs> Where did this idea come from? Rand's not sure either. Yeah, we get in Rand's thoughts, it's his POV for this chapter, that little phrases and words like this have just been popping into his head. He doesn't know why or wherefore, and he's concerned it may be an early symptom of the madness that he fears is going to present. I mean, it's totally normal for people to invent weird nicknames and different things, but sometimes it's weird things to call stuff that is historical and like Moreno give him a look and it's like that's a thing you didn't make that up and then Ren's like hmm hmm I don't know I don't know <laughs> it's not it's not ideal let's not talk about it right speaking of talking about it Moraine would like to talk alone with Rand of course she would she infers at this point that Rand should dismiss the Gleeman now I hadn't mentioned anything about the Gleeman yet mm -hmm. this is a good time to do so in the background of this entire chapter, there's been harp music. Just pleasant background, smooth jazz. Jason Natal, the Gleeman mm -hmm. to the Dragon Reborn, has been setting the mood. Or at least a mood. Moraine's like, he should go. Rand says, no, he can stay. No, partly just to be contrary. But also, he's like, he is my official Gleeman. He needs to be present to tell the tale of the Dragon Reborn someday. But secretly, it's also like, I don't trust that man to be out of this room. <laughs> because he knows, and we know, Natal is actually Asmodian. Mostly shielded, but also mostly shielded in a way that Rand can't see and can't really check on. Right. He's basically Rand's prisoner. He was trapped and ordered to serve Rand by Lanfear, another Forsaken. But as you said, he's got this shield. Well, Lanfear did that to him. She shielded him, right? Mm-hmm. But he can channel? Can you explain that a little bit better? It's an incomplete shield. I think of it like, this is going to be the weirdest sounding thing ever. I think of it like putting him in a hamster ball because you have to include little holes for air to come through so that the hamster doesn't <laughs> die inside. And it's a power hamster ball. He He's blocked. He's not going to be able to channel, but little trickles come through so that he can still get that little bit that he needs. <laughs> it's an teach. Asmodia ball. I like yeah. it. Asmodia ball. <laughs> All right. Well, Moraine sense, fine. Rand's not going to budge. So she gets to the point and she pulls out this Quendiar disc, half black, half white. One side looks like the dragon fang. That's the black side. The other looks like the flame of Tarvalon. Oh, what is this thing? It's the ancient seal of the Aes Sedai. It's also a seal on the Dark One's prison. Right. And Moraine demonstrates the problem, what she really wants Rand to recognize. She gets it's a knife flaky. and she literally chips a piece off of this seal on the Dark One's prison. That should be impossible. This thing that's supposed to be an unbreakable material is flaking. What's the issue with these now being apparently breakable? Well, if the breakable, that means the seals on the Dark One's prison are weakening. They're subject to be broken. <laughs> the Dark One can exert more power on the world. And if they're not washed and protected carefully, he could be free before the proper moment in the last battle. By the way, three of the seven seals are now known to be broken. Moraine has this one. 
And she has another one that she brought with her from Tear. And those ones aren't broken. Right. And she says this the one from Tear can also be chipped easy. It's just as fragile. So she's got two that if she dropped them, oops. Okay. So we know three are broken. Two, two are Two that are on the cusp. How many are there total? There's seven. Now we so also know. As readers, we know. We know that Nynaeve has one. Where'd she get one? Down in Tanjiko, is that correct? Yes, and it, it's not broken yet. She's got it, well, as far as we know. She's got it, and it's not broken. We don't even know if it's fragile. We just mm-hmm. know she got that out of the museum in Tanchico. That leaves one left that I don't think we know anything about where it is yet. I don't think... Off the top of my head, one. it's three, three, and one that could be broken, could be not, and we're not entirely positive where it is in this moment. Right. Now, the Amerlin is the Watcher of the Seals. She's done a great job historically. (laughs) She's got nothing here going on. Especially considering one of them was at the bottom of the eye of the world. I bet she (laughs) never had eyes on that thing. Moraine goes on then to press Rand to share his plans. You know, see how urgent it is? The Seals are breaking. The Forsaken could be loose. You gotta tell me what you're gonna do. He's like, they're my plans. I don't gotta tell you crap. She wants him to get moving. To stop staying in place. She says, okay, you've secured Tyr. That was great. Fine. And now you're having them help Kyrian. Okay, normally I'd say, good on you, Rand, but that is not helping you secure your power base. Kyrian's a hot mess. Your humanitarian efforts are not doing good at turning you into a warlord. Right. Maureen's like, at least you should have kept Kalendor with you and maybe gone after the Forsaken. I mean, that would be doing something. What you're doing now... Now, of course, she doesn't know he has a Forsaken in his pocket, you know, right Yeah, here. she's kind of just, like, invalidating the fact that he went and did this whole car car and arc, has the Aiel kind of on his side, but is still in the process of figuring that out, and has a Forsaken literally in the room with him. And he makes comments here in his own mind that literally it was his intention to lure a Forsaken to him in the last book so capturing asmodian i mean that was like the bonus but he expected something to happen he was basically setting a trap and that's the payoff but to her credit she doesn't know any of that because he's not telling people this which may be good it may be a problem (laughs) but it's incredibly frustrating for moraine now rand does have at least the start of a plan which he actually now shares with moraine he says he's going to get these 11 clans of Aiel, screw the Shido, and take them over the Dragon Wall and enforce peace on the rest of the land. Why does he think that will work, Zach? Because the Aiel are terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that whole Aiel war 20 years ago, only four clans crossed the Dragon Wall, and they pretty much did whatever they wanted for the length of the war. Yeah, I mean, it was a war. There were some losses on both sides, but... For the most part, if the Aiel wanted to win and just destroy everyone, they would have. The greatest they victory of gave the Western is when they view it we not ran them off. And instead it was what? The Aiel just had already killed Layman, which was their whole point of coming. So they turned around and went home. That's right. So they're literally just deciding to go home. And the Randland people are like, we won! We forced them back. No, you did not force crap. The one place where I say... <laughs> No, I mean, like, everyone else had some minor victories against the Aiel is because we have heard of Borderland skirmishes. Uh, we know Lance had his t- fair share of fighting against the Aiel. They respect him. 
partially for fighting against him, which wasn't all the Aiyo War, but some of it was back then, and some of it's been since. Sure. So there's like little victories. Little bits. The Aiyo one. Rand says about his plan that they'll accept my peace. Now he's he's referencing the Westlands. Or I'll be buried in the Cambriot. At which point the Gleeman plays an off discordant note. It's like something about that. That is foreshadowing people. We're not going to tell you why. Just remember it. Mm-hmm. Now, per Moraine, bringing the Aiel, she's like, that is the worst possible thing you could do, Rand. Because she says the Amarlin will by now have been bringing all of the nations together to support you. She will have spread that the Dragon Reborn has been found. Prophecy has been answered, and it is time for us to rally behind him. And your move, bringing an attack force of Aiel, is going to ruin it. So, clearly, Moraine doesn't know that the Tower had a civil war, basically. Oh, I can't even picture what has happened. And that Swan has been stilled and is a fugitive. Yeah, Rand just laughs at the thought that Moraine and Swan Sanjay think they know everything. And he calls them fools. And to be honest, I mean, they were doing their (laughs) best. But unfortunately, it's less that they're fools for what their plans were. And more that they forgot to account for the fact that there are smart people with other agendas working against them that aren't necessarily evil. Yes. Because too many times people have gotten in the way of their plans that aren't bad. I mean, Rand has gotten in the way of Moraine's plans time and time again. He's clearly not evil. And this whole thing going on with the tower may or may not be evil in any way, shape, or form. It's just bad for Swan and Moraine's plan. Rand is going to stick with his plan, despite Moraine t- telling him it's an awful idea. She leaves in a huff. Egwene sticks around to give him a little piece of her mind. By which, seeing her and her attitude, he states, so you're the one that hit me with the power earlier. And she starts to deny it and then clams up, which inadvertently Because if she gives, denies it, she's it was Moraine, Moraine who did it. it. Yeah. Rand figures that out now and is like, oh man, she must really be disturbed to lose her temper like that. He'd assumed it was Egwene. Especially because Moraine would have had to jump through some hoops to justify doing that. Like, moral hoops of justification. Egwene goes on and on then. A true tirade at Rand. Which Rand comes to realize, okay, that's just her venting because she's frustrated that she let that information slip. She's trying so hard to be like Moraine, this Aes Sedai who lets nothing slip by her. And the fact that mm, she she missed the mark, she's ticked about that. So she's just letting him have it. And a thought goes through Rand's head. It, I, I put a quote in there. Would you mm-hmm. read the quote? Elena never flashed her temper at me you know, when she was angry with herself. When she gave me the rough side of her tongue, it was because she... And then Rand just freezes up. What? What the heck? He's got this crystal clear image of Ilyana, a woman he's never met in his life. He has memories of an imaginary woman. What the heck? Again, spoiler light. Remember this. Let's continue spoiler light, though. We've heard the name Ilyana before. We have. Rand's face at this point shows something's wrong. And Egwene stops with concern, offering to, to get Moraine for healing. She can tell, you know. Rand's like, no, no, it's, it's no, nothing that healing will help. And in his mind, he's thinking, yeah, I said, I can't heal madness. He's sure this is another sign that he's starting to go mad. 
Well, Egwene heads to the exit, telling Rand to rest. And as she's walking away, a silver goblet of wine comes floating through the air at him. I want to see that in the TV show. And Rand reaches out and grabs it when he notices Egwene starting to turn back to say one more thing. And she, what she says is, Rand, Elaine loves you. You should know that. She didn't ask me to pass that on, but I just want you to know, as I've connected with her in the world of dreams, it's obvious. She mm-hmm. does love you. Yeah, I'm, her letters made that super, super clear <laughs> that she loved me. Uh-huh. And, uh, and then Egwene is out, at which Rand chucks this wine glass away, wine goblet down, and, and turns on Jason and Natal, just furious with him as the chapter ends. I'm going to be honest. Why didn't he just chuck it at Jason Natal? <laughs> Good point. Now, chapter three is called Pale Shadows. We continue this direct narrative. Rand seizes Sidene, grabs Natal with air, and slams him up against a wall, immobilized. Why is he so angry? Because he had directly ordered Asmodian to not channel around anyone else. That this his being there and who he is is the utmost secrecy. No one can know. No one can even suspect. And he just did because Rand didn't channel that goblet to him. And he's like, what if Egwene had seen that? And, and this goblet coming at me and, and Natal and, and Rand tries to think of him as Natal as much as possible because he's afraid if he thinks of him as Asmodian, he might slip up at some point and say Asmodian where someone could overhear. So Natal, Natal, that's what he's focused on. And he was like, what if you had been seen? Natal's like... Dude, no one would have assumed I was channeling. They would have assumed you were doing it. Rand's like, yeah, but if she'd seen the shock on my face, it would have been like, uh, just surprised it worked, maybe. Besides, you looked thirsty, and your court bard should look after your needs. Hmm. Rand's hmm. like, court bard now, huh? He's giving himself a raise already. I mean, on the one hand, sure, the dragon reborn probably deserves a court bard as opposed to a gleeman. On the other hand, we did hear some comparisons in the last yeah. book to the skill of Jason Natale versus, I don't know, the humble gleeman Tom Marilyn, who actually was a court bard. And I'm not saying that this guy who has plenty of centuries of experience on Tom is bad, but he's no Tom Marilyn. Right, right. Did you see me get attacked by my garnish just now? Uh, I saw you got attacked, and I think your shirt shows evidence. Yeah, right there. It just jumped right out at me. <sighs> User error. Oh, well. I'll yell at the bartender. Oh, wait a second. Okay, we get a little more detail on Natale's predicament here. Moving that goblet through the air is about as much as he can channel due to that shield, Lanfear, left on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Rand can't see that shield as it is a female weave of Sidar. So that means what about men? And Sidar? Men can't see Sidar. Women can't see Sidene. Yes. It's a whole thing. And it's where we've kind of been before with the whole men and women can't teach each other how to channel. But shouldn't Egwene, therefore, be able to see a shield around Natal? Well, she would if Lanfear hadn't told us in the last book that she'd inverted the weaves to make them invisible. And Natal has tried to explain that to Rand. What how you invert something, what that means, and he's done a lousy job. Yeah. But again, spoiler light, you should keep it in mind and remember, weaves can be inverted. Now, 
in Rand's thoughts, we're reminded of why Asmodian is here. And we've covered this already a little bit before, but just to touch deeper now, we, we get the understanding. Rand, he would be a wilder if he was a woman. That's why, how they would have referred to him. Because he just mm -hmm. naturally started channeling. Nobody trained him to do it. And again, if like women, one in four die of these wilders before figuring out how to control what they can do. So that's a risk for Rand. He's got to learn how to channel. Now, he did avoid the whole mess of, more or less, the fact that he's got Asmodian here now is how he's trying to avoid the mess that Nynaeve is in, where you've survived through channeling as a wilder, but develop a block. Hmm. He's still kind of surviving through learning channeling or not. So he might still die. He might not, but he's now maybe getting a little bit of formal training. And Rand needs that training, which a woman cannot provide because they can't see the, the weaves at all for a man. It's totally different to them. And so if he needed a man to train him, he had options, but there was only one that would work because another man who just discovered he, discovered he could channel would be no better than Rand at being able to channel. A man who had discovered a while ago and had mastered it is probably another false dragon. And no false dragon's going to say, sure, let me empower you. No, he'd be like, hey, I'm going to kill you. You're a threat. Mm -hmm. That left a forsaken, and thus Asmodian is trapped here to teach Rand. Rand asks if Natal had ever considered turning back to the light. And the answer is uh, not really. Natale doesn't think Rand has any chance of winning after all. So why would he turn back? No. That being said, he's in a weird predicament where he does and doesn't have a choice. Because, as we saw previously, if any of the Forsaken found out what he's doing here, they would kill him. And he's not even safe from the Dark One's taint anymore because Rand severed his connection to the Dark One. Right. But he's going to stay here and he's going to help Rand because even though he believes he's doomed because Rand's going to lose, it's the only thing he can do to at least survive for now. He'd, he'd rather survive a little bit and maybe find another opportunity to weasel his way out than die right now. Death is so fine. Permanent. We learned that the teaching Natal has been doing has accomplished some things, even though it's not as much as Rand wishes had already been accomplished. One... As we already saw earlier in this chapter, Rand can grasp Sidene anytime he wants to now. Remember, earlier he would sometimes try and it wouldn't come he to him. He can now do it at will. He's mastered. Mostly. Yes. He can also tell the difference between the various flows. What is that talking about? What are the different flows? There are five different powers within the one power. Air, water, earth, fire, and spirit. Yes. And Rand can actually distinguish between them rather than just what he described previously to Gwen and Elaine, which was that he wills something to happen and it happens. He actually flows now. He when weaves. you can see the different flows, you can weave them to do certain things. And that's important to his mastery of the power. He's also learned how to shield himself, not like shielding off the power, but shield as in protecting himself from others. And... The power does what Rand wants it to do now. Now, it's limited as to how much he can tell it to do. But when he says, do that, and it's something he knows how to do, it does it. It it, it answers his will. Now, if it doesn't, if he doesn't know how to do it, but he wants it to happen, eh, who knows? Natale claims, you know, 
the little he can channel greatly inhibits his ability to teach Rand. So we're lucky we've gotten that much accomplished. And I'm sure he would claim that. He says if we could link, that would help greatly. So Rand's like, well, let's do that. And Natal is kind of like, really? Dude, uh, I forget how much of an idiot you are. And in particular, he forgets how much Rand doesn't remember. Now here he's referencing that Rand, as the dragon reborn, is Luce Theron Telamon reborn. Mm-hmm. And Luce Theron knew all these sorts of things, but Rand doesn't. And what he's referencing specifically is about linking. Women can link to use more of the one power. Men can only link with the help of a woman. Now, women can only link so far. They can link up to a group of 13. Beyond that, they need men involved. Now, that doesn't mean they can link to 13 women and then can only add men, but rather it requires a combination of the both to do larger than that. Yes. Now, Rand thinks Natal is lying here because Moraine told him all the powers of the true source are equal. So men and women channeling, I mean, why would things vary? Why can men do one thing and women do others? That doesn't make sense. On the one hand, I agree. It's dumb. On the other hand, there is a balance here. There is. Natal breaks it down like this, and it's pretty brilliant. The powers are all equal, and men and women can do the same things with those powers. However, strength in the use of the power varies by individual. Mm-hmm. And he, he uses an analogy. Just as both men and women have arms, in general, men have stronger arms. There are exceptions, but in general, men are stronger. The power works the same way. Nice Let's job hit hitting microphone your microphone. <laughs> the power is the same way. It was your strong male arm that you just you had to punch it. <laughs> men in general... <laughs> are more powerful in drawing on the power, even though there are exceptions with women. Now, a difference, a balance, you said. If two women link, they are not twice as powerful, but they will, together, generally be strong enough to counter one man. Again, going with averages. So one woman, one man, typically the man's going to outpower the woman, but two women linked can outpower the man. And a seriously strong male channeler might require five six but a woman can do up to 13 you go all the way up to 13 he says even you rand would probably be dead meat even if it's 13 women who are only mediocre in the power if they're linked they can take you down look if you find yourself facing 1v13 and they're linked you best hope you've got that children call we were fighting over because even (laughs) then it's gonna be a tough fight Natal makes a comment about Moraine here that's an important throwaway comment that first-time readers definitely should take note of. It's true, Moraine cannot lie because of the three oaths. At least Rand believes that to be true. Natal clarifies the three oaths forbid her from knowingly lying. It doesn't evaluate what is true and what is not. The oaths don't Mm -hmm. do that. So if she believes an untruth is true, she can say it. She's allowed to be wrong. Ding, ding, ding. Thus, you cannot believe everything an Aes Sedai says is absolute fact. It's only as true as she believes. They could just be ignorant, or they could be really dang good at rationalizing things to themselves to the point where they believe something in their soul that is just objectively false. I so want to say an Aes Sedai's name at this point, but I'm not going to. Spoiler light. Okay, now Rand drills Natal on 
other information. He wants him to repeat to him what he knows about the other Forsaken. Which, repeat, he's clearly told all of this before, but just like with Aes Sedai, Rand is pretty confident. Yeah, you might not lie to me, but you're not going to tell me everything, and everything you tell me won't be what I think it is. Plus, we weren't around for the other conversation, so I yeah, appreciate so he's going to repeat it, see it Yeah, so here's a breakdown of tidbits. Samael, he's taken hold of Ilian. Okay, yeah, Rand already knew old that. Old hat, already knew it. Keep going. Grendel was in Eridamon, but she likes her comfort, so Natal expects she's moved along. Considering so. Eridamon is a boiling mass of shit right now. Yes. He suspects Mogedian is also out west somewhere, but with her nickname, The Spider, no one finds her unless she wants to be found. I mean, she was last in Tanjiko and was found when she only kind of wanted to be found, but Rand doesn't know that. Yeah, she wasn't she wasn't subtle enough. <laughs> Ravine has a queen for one of his pets. But which queen? Eh, I don't know. We could make a guess. There aren't that many queens. And but... there aren't that many that we know have something weird going on. Yeah, we already know. Come on. It was in the prologue. You weren't here for that, but <laughs> Rand doesn't do know. know. Yeah. Semerhaj finds something amusing that Rand found deeply disturbing. Now, we don't get it repeated here. That's rather ominous, okay? And also then, Demondred. We learn that he went over to the Shadow because he was jealous of Luz Theron. Rand's like, man, you gotta be really jealous for that to be the reason you go dark. Finally, Asmodian claims immortality is what tempted him to the Shadow, the ability to make music forever. I'm sure that's what you're going to claim. Is it true? Maybe. Rand bluntly asks, Okay, Natale, do you think I do have a chance of winning at the last battle? What's the answer? Rand, you're screwed. Yeah. The fact that you have to rely on me to teach you things, and I'm not even doing a good job, any one of the Forsaken is going to walk in here and chew you up. Asmodian's like, The moment I hear the Dark One is free, I'm slitting my wrists. Okay, there is no chance, and I'm not going to let him get me. I'm going to die first. Rand's like, well, fine, fatalistic. There's no chance. Why don't you kill yourself now? And Natal tells a very short little story that basically says, though there is no hope, a person can't keep trying to survive anyway. Okay. Also, a tiny little inkling of the possibility of hope is different than no hope. Rand leaves the room, ready to go somewhere else. Walking out, he finds five maidens outside the door. His honor guard. He's surprised to see one of them is different from the five who came with him before. And he's like, uh, where'd so-and-so go? Oh, she'd get married. <laughs> she laid a bridal wreath earlier today. What does that mean when a maiden chooses to get married? Uh, she chooses to be no longer wed to the spear and wed to a person. She can't be a maiden anymore. Right. We also learn one or two maidens have been giving up the spear and laying bridal wreaths every day since they got here to Ruidian. So boy, are we lucky that the Shido ones are replacing them. <laughs> the way they discuss it, this may be the way maidens are dealing with those revelations. The bleakness, where the men are throwing down their spears and wandering away. The women are just getting married. They're giving up on being maidens and moving on to marriage. Mm-hmm. Just before leaving then, oh. Rand turns back. Oh, what? The 
ever so slight little piece here as well. Rand's officially the Karakarn. He's officially been announced as the Karakarn. Not a whole lot of motivation to stay a maiden and keep having a kid that is going to potentially be the Karakarn. Well, that was never why they were maidens, though. No, no, no. But it was a motivation for if they wanted to pursue having a kid to stay a maiden and uh... do that rather than, no, nah, I'm good to go have a kid and keep with that. Okay. It's an interesting take. I don't think I'm, it's the I'm... biggest motivation here. Yeah. They're more into the stabby stabs, you know? To me, there's a whole lot of factors here that can be used to rationalize and explain that it's a very big event and a little to Virini. Just before leaving, Rand turns back, channels a box of fire and spirit around the room, trapping Asmodian inside until Rand undoes it. Yeah, if you want to step out, it's fine, but you'll be incinerated. Yep, so would Rand if he tries to walk through it. Without it will prevent dealing with it. any man who can channel from going in or out. Which feels pretty safe, because for the moment, the best that we know is Rand, Asmodian, or someone else bad. Mm -hmm. Unless Ruark's hiding something from us, but... Uh... Now, this was a weave that Rand just stumbled upon. Asmodian confirmed, oh, yeah, that, that does that. But it's too powerful a weave for Asmodian to do anything about. So it's a perfect way to keep him safe. Still in this chapter, we jump to a new POV to catch up with Matt Cawthon now. He's hanging out with the regular people, drinking mm -hmm. and gambling as usual. Nice. He's actually gambling with a couple Aiel. A game that's supposed to be more than a more of a challenge than usual. Something that requires real skill. Mm -hmm. And we get to learn a little bit about Matt's experiences of late here. He's finding himself speaking things from the past that no one has heard in hundreds of years. For example, when we first break in, he's singing a song, a random song, Jack of the Shadows. No one knows this song. So one of the guys here, because some of the merchant group guys are hanging out watching the gambling. Mm -hmm. One of them's like, my grandfather knew that song way back when. It's about death. Dude, why are you singing a song about death? I don't know. It's in my head. Matt remembers hearing it sung by Archer Hawkwing's army. Okay, what's that about? Remind us of why he has such memories. He may have had the eelfin inadvertently stuff his head full of memories that don't belong to him, but fill the gaps. Another thing we learn. None of Kadir's men... And most of the Aiel will not dice with him anymore. His bloody luck has become too well known. He's too lucky. He keeps winning. We're just not going to play with him. So to get anyone to gamble with him, he's got to go to extremes, which is what we're seeing now. They're playing a game where one of them throws a piece of wood up in the air and the other has to throw a knife at it and try to stab it in the air before it hits the ground. They're also drinking Uzquai. Yeah, they are getting hammered doing this. Totally drunk. To make it hard. And the Aiel are hoping this will cancel out Matt's luck. One of the Aiel suggests at the point that we come in on this. That you know it's kind of getting dark. Maybe it's time we stop. And Matt's like my grandma could see in this light. In fact I could hit, I could still hit it blindfolded. The crowd goes silent. And one person pulls out a blindfold. The Aiel calls his bluff. He's like. Are there women around you're trying to impress? Because no one talks such nonsense unless they're trying to impress a woman. He's like, all right, bet, do it. Takes the scarf from around his neck. Why does he keep a scarf around his neck? Matt, Matt keeps the scarf around his neck because he's got a real nasty scar from rope Yeah. Burn. 
blindfolds himself, says, I throw it. I got this. And he feels it. His luck has come in. He knows he's going to hit this thing. I see a thought on your your body language. Did you want to say something? We find out after that can see. So keep going. The Aiel chucks the wood up. Matt throws the dagger. We hear a thunk. And there is silence. Matt uncovers. He sees. He got it. It's a Mm -hmm. tiny piece of wood. The guy tried to cheat. It wasn't a normal (laughs) piece of what they've been throwing. It wasn't like... Yeah, we've been throwing the seats of chairs because we actually break down chairs. We don't use them. We sit on the ground. It's like, no, no, no. He gave the tiny littlest bit of a leg. And he still nailed it. He's like, well, you know, everybody gets lucky sometimes. Uh, we'll have to try again another time. And the Aiel's like, uh, yeah, some other time. Which Matt interprets as no never. other time. <laughs> we will never play with you again. <laughs> he has ruined any chance because to gamble with the Aiel. You are plastered blindfolded we cheated and you, and you still, still did it. Hit it and matt has quite the haul of stuff i mean he he didn't win as much as he usually wins when he's gambling because this was harder and they are drunk he still won more than lost and then something happens that is another thing matt is struggling not to do he replies to someone's comment about his luck with a saying from the past only it comes out in the old tongue and Oops. Matt doesn't even realize it. The guy's like, what did what did you say? And he's like, oh, it's nothing. Just uh, something don't worry about sometimes. it. I'm drunk. It's fine. The people leave Matt to his own, which is good then, because Matt's like, I need some time to ponder what the heck is happening here. And in his thoughts, we get just a little more of what he's dealing with. He's got all those memories, as you said, that the Eofin poured into his head. But things have changed with time, and now it's all seamless. His mm-hmm. memories of his own life and then the memories of other lives, there's no break. It's not mine and the rest of the memories. They're all his memories. He's got yeah. a really bad sense of chronologicality. Oh, um, man, it's a mess. He has to really concentrate, though, really focus to remember which ones are truly things he experienced. Because they all feel like he was there. Which is really unfortunate when some of them are deaths. Oh, man, the other memories, it's all sorts of random things, but you're right. The two things that are the most prominent are a whole bunch of battles and a whole bunch of dying in battles. I feel like he's the Thomas Edison of battles. He did so many battles to know how you can die so that maybe he might know how to live. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. Maybe he'll get lucky this time. Matt and luck? We'll see. Matt has two other things with him. His flat-brimmed hat and this unique spear he got from the eelfin. Now that spear... Mm-hmm. No normal spearhead on it. Instead, it's got a two-foot-long, like, short sword. It's a one-edged, cur- slightly curved short sword. And it's marked with a pair of ravens, which Lan, he looked at it, he said, that's power rot. Something from the War of the Power that will never need sharpening, cannot break. Matt's like, okay, I'm going to try not to rely on that fact. <laughs> but it also, on the, on the shaft, has Old Tongue script, which... Matt now, because of his memories, can perfectly and fluently read. What does it say, Zach? Thus is our treaty written, thus is agreement made. Thought is the arrow of time, memory never fades. What was asked is given, the price is paid. <sighs> A lot of meaning in that. Matt goes walking off on his own now. 
Mm-hmm. And his eye catches the wagons that are loaded with those objects of power, including that t- twisted doorway. And that's the last thing Matt really wants to notice. He makes a nice r- wide arc around it. He's like, no, nah, no, nah, I'll go around the block. It's fine. Yeah. He hasn't gone very far when he hears a woman's voice out of the dark, wanting to know if he can do that thing with the knife every time. Well, if it's a woman asking, he'll say yes. It's a maiden of the spear. She introduces herself as Melindra of the Jumai sept. And Matt notices she doesn't mention her clan. There's only one reason. Yeah, she's a Shido. Matt doesn't understand much about Aiel, honestly, but he gets that the Shido hate Rand's guts. He's got that part. But still, she's here with the good guys in Ruidian, and she's got a nice smile for him. Matt goes into flirt mode, of course. And he pulls out a necklace from his winnings and he gives it to Melindra, saying it would look very pretty with your eyes. Matt knows not what he's doing. No, he's got no clue. She takes that necklace and says, I accept your offer. What offer? I, I was She sure? compliments his eyes as pretty and shares that her spear sisters have told her about him. Okay. Yeah, and now Matt, he's like, offer, and, and she's now not just smiling she's staring at him like she's scrutinizing it now it feels almost predatory he's like dang it maidens you can't even tell if they want to kiss you dance with you or kill you maybe all of the above he starts to feel like a cornered chicken and he's looking around for options what can i do and then he sees rand off in the distance passing by with his group of maidens guarding him with no explanation matt just tells melinda excuse me for a moment and Takes off running after Rand. Doesn't even take his stuff. Now, he's not worried about his stuff walking away because the Aiel are pretty strict about taking things that don't belong to you unless it's the fifth in a battle. Yeah. Because then it belongs to them. Uh, No one's going to take his stuff. He's seen what happened to a merchant dude who actually did a little theft. The guy gets sent off into the waste, stark naked, with just one water skin. Good luck, They gave him some water. Honestly, it's a waste of the water skin unless they were following to pick it up off of his corpse. It was to expand and extend the torture because he'll last that much longer as he's miserable in the desert. And to be honest, I I would believe that they would send a couple Aiel to follow and pick up the water skin off of his corpse. (laughs) Well, here we've got Matt running up to Rand and approaching him. He calls out Rand. Rand, the last time he's like just 10 feet away. Rand, he's getting no reaction. So he yells out, Loose Theron! And Rand immediately turns around. (sighs) Yeah, that's not good. They stand there like that, though, about 10 feet apart, just looking at each other then for a few moments. And Matt is hesitant to move closer. He's trying to convince himself that's because of those guards, guards, the maidens, because he recognizes some of them from the game of Maiden's Kiss he got caught up in. Tell us about that game, Zach. What is Maiden's Kiss? To the best of our understanding, he stands in the middle of a group of maidens who all have their spears leveled at his neck, and they take turns taking a kiss from him, and uh, if he did a good enough job, the spears back up a little bit. If they didn't think he did good enough, the spears get a little tighter, and you don't get to decide when you stop playing. Yeah, he played all freaking night, as it turned out. But really what's troubling Matt is the reality of Rand being his friend, but now also being the kind of friend who might bash your head in without meaning to. He's dangerous. 
Matt forces himself to move within arm's reach. And then he tells Rand, you know, dude, I'm thinking it might be about time I head off on my own way now. And Rand does not try to talk him out of it. He says simply, well, we all must do what we must do. The wheel weaves as the wheel wills. Pa-ching! One thing, though, <coughs> when Matt shares his current plan to maybe head off with the peddlers group when they break off towards Tower of Alon with all those power items, Rand warns him, don't trust that Kadir dude. And he gives pretty direct words saying, he's evil. He's a bad guy. He'll slit your throat, man. Don't trust him. Matt's like, no worries there. I don't trust him either. And Matt just stands there then as Rand and his entourage wander off. And Melindra comes up, rejoins him, bringing all of his things. And she comments on having heard he was near brother to Randall Thor. And look at that. You just went right up to him. And she's clearly kind of impressed. Mm-hmm. And then she makes it clear that, you know, she's had her eye on him for days. Even before his gift to attract her interest, she was thinking she might like to spend some time with him. Now, you said earlier, you know, kind of a predatory look at him. Yeah, Matt's getting that now. Things have switched. He's not the pursuer here. He's being pursued. And then he says, does Daughter of the Nine Moons mean anything to you? Remind us what that's about. I mean, he was told he would marry the Daughter of the Nine Moons. And Matt's not ready to get married, so he's trying to do everything he can to avoid the daughter. Matt's gotten into the habit of asking women that question. And if they, you know, were ever to say the wrong answer, he's like, he's out. He's gone. He hasn't heard the wrong answer yet, though. Because here, Melindra, just like many others, says, nope, that means nothing to me. But I tell you, I do like to do some things by moonlight. She moves a little closer, starts whispering in his ear, and they walk off together. And he just starts grinning bigger. Matt's like, I'm okay with that. (laughs) okay our final chapter today is chapter four twilight by stephanie meyer no never (laughs) stop (laughs) we won't do a to read or not to read on that because it would be like not to read the answer would just be no thanks for joining us i mean it could be a really funny uh not labeled (laughs) tiny talk it could be (laughs) i'm I'm tempted now (laughs) so we're just going back to rand he and his escort they're approaching their destination now a building that's been claimed here in Ruidian as the Roof of the Maidens. So this is like their clubhouse. No man may enter, except for Guy Shine, those servants in white. Mm-hmm. But they do let Rand in. And here we kind of get the, the skinny, actually, that this is the room, the building Rand had picked to live in. And then the Maidens moved in. Yeah, they carry his honor. So if he's here, this is their building. And Rand was like, oh, I'm sorry, you've decided you want this? Okay, I'll pick another building. Like, no, 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 no. Wherever you go, we're just going to follow you. So this is how they, yeah, guard him, carry his honor. They're going to be with him. The one concession he gets out of them is, fine, let me have my own floor, okay? So you're all here, I'll go upstairs. So as he goes through the building, goes up to his floor, and there's no maidens there. It's just his place. Now, it's actually the fourth floor he's on. Yeah, it started as the second, then more maidens showed up, and he had to. He, he's had to keep moving up. He's like, eventually I'm going to end up tenting on the roof. Yeah. Now, where he is actually located then, he's got a bedroom in the center of the floor. There's no windows. It's a very secure location, and no one should bother him here. He settles in for sleep in his room, doesn't remove his coat or boots. He actually needs them for warmth because the cold is already creeping into his bedroom. And he chooses not to light the fire because the only fuel they have 
is cow dung. Because they're not chopping off bits of uh, of Endosaura, and there's not really much else for trees. No, so you burn what you have. Dried cow dung burns. Dried cow dung burns fragrantly. And he's like, I'd rather be cold than smell that again. It's awful. And remember, no windows. So the smell stays with you. I'm just imagining what he would smell like the next day. <laughs> so... I don't want to chooses, imagine that. He just okay. chooses to be cold. Asmodian had actually taught Rand a simple way to keep the room warm, but it's one Rand hasn't mastered. The one night he tried it, he awoke in the middle of the night with the carpets starting to smoke, little little crackling flames right at the edges, the fringes, because the floor had gotten so hot, things were combusting. Yeah, it's like he put heat mm. in there, and then he tried it off to just be hot, unregulated heat is bad better to be cold than to wake up burning is what he's decided as ran lays there trying to relax and drift off his brain won't shut off he remembers his anger yeah haven't we all uh so his anger at moraine it's puzzling him because why is he getting so angry he didn't this wasn't his personality he didn't used to be a guy prone to anger so that's something that puzzles him a bit he's also kind of like I think I trust Asmodian more than Moraine. And how screwed up is that? He questions the way she wants to use him, manipulate him. At least Asmodian just needs him. It's not, I mean, I can't trust him very far. Yeah, I like, know that. He'll use and manipulate me, but he's helping me because if he doesn't, he'll die. Asmodian's motives are more transparent. That's really what it comes down to. The final thought he has is that he has to find a way to shield himself from the Dark One's taint so that he doesn't go mad. He knows there's got to be a way. Because Esmodian had been protected from the taint before Rand cut off the Dark One's protection. Mm -hmm. So if the Dark One could do it, it can be done. So it is maybe he can find impossible. a way. Does it require him going to the dark side? Let's hope not. No, I'm not going there, yeah. Now Rand's thoughts are interrupted by soft footsteps outside his room. And he's like, God dang it, I told them not to come up here. He sits up in frustration when a maiden comes walking in, but it's not a maiden. It's Avienda, her arms full of heavy wool blankets. He has not seen her in 10 days. And in fact, he's surprised he hadn't seen her because many days ago, one of the first things Asmodian taught him was how to keep people out of his dreams. So he did and kept the wise ones out. And he figured next thing he'd know, Avienda would be attached to his hip now because she's their spy. In the Shadow Rising, it was late in the book, when he learned from Avienda that the Wise Ones had been prying into Rand's dreams as a way to keep tabs on him since he wasn't talking to them. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is one of the first things he asks. Well, when he shares this bit, you know, of I thought they'd send you right back. She's like, yeah, they are not happy that you figured out a way to block them from your dreams. They're particularly unhappy that I was the one who told you they were doing that. Yeah, as much as they're not happy with you, Rand, they're less happy with me. Rand is shocked. Why did you admit that? I would have figured it out anyways. I was this close. Even if you hadn't slip, had that slip of the tongue, I would have figured it out. She's like, how dare you presume that I would be dishonest? Of course I told them. She's mad that he does not get it. This whole sense of honor. Mm-hmm. And throws the blankets at him, saying, I should have let you freeze. But Avienda, having been a maiden, being Aiel, 
And just being Avienda is particularly prickly about how she views Jeto. And of course, Rand is thinking of that and of how much he doesn't understand Jeto. It's like, ah! The thing about Avienda, though, is that even though he knew she was assigned to him as a spy, to be close to him, to report back on what she learns, he actually enjoyed having her around. He found it refreshing that she didn't seem to revere him like everyone else. She never hesitated to speak her mind, no matter how scathing her comments. So it was kind of comforting. Now they have an awkward and confusing interaction, though. Avienda comments on the bracelet she wears that Rand gave her that even he admits was never intended as a regard gift. Remember, he had gone and asked the maidens what would she like? This is what he got. They thought he's attracting her attention. He's mm-hmm. interested. Woo-hoo-hoo. She's like, you admitted that's not what this is. So this won't matter either. And she throws a gift at him. She created a beautiful dragon head belt buckle ornately designed in steel and covered in gold and rand's like wow this is beautiful thank you and she's like it doesn't mean anything (laughs) she's quite insistent and she explains a little further when she gave up the spear to become a wise one she had to get rid of all of her weapons and she gave most of her things away but some of the weapons she was instructed by the wise ones to melt down and use to create things to give to specific people. And she was to make a list of three men and three women she most hated and give each of them a gift made from her own hands to teach herself humility. Turns out the only name on her list on either side was Randolph Thor. So she just made one really nice one. No, I'm kidding. But uh, there were others. But she does point out when Rand says, so was I one of those you hated? She's like, number one on the list, dude. And I always will. Yes. Rand is taken aback. He's saddened. And he offers to speak to the wise ones. I mean, if this is so horrible, you hate me so much, I'll ask them to let you out of this job. She's like, no, don't do that. Wise ones would never let me out anyways. Mm -hmm. Besides, I promised to uh, watch you for Elaine. And then she doubles down with the firm conviction. And don't you forget, you belong to her, Randall Thor. To her and no other woman. Remember that. Rand's just like, whatever. I, I cannot figure women out. That's a pretty common theme. In regards to Elaine, you mentioned those two letters before that he got right before they parted ways in tear. It's like, those don't tell him that he belongs to Elaine. They, they, I love you. I hate you. What? So he's like, I don't belong to anyone. And uh, it's not like I'm going after women anyways. Whatever. And in this troublesome moment, Isendri comes waltzing in with some wine for the Dragon Reborn. The issue is she's wearing a red headscarf, a bunch of jewelry on her wrists and ankles, and nothing else. Oops. Why is she dressed, not dressed, like that, Zach? Uh, Because the maidens are making her do that. But why? Well, we've seen what they do to people who try to steal. They send them out into the desert with just some water, or in this case this yeah we learned at the end of the last book lanfear told rand she had set a century up so a century got caught for stealing things she didn't actually steal though she's probably guilty of other things she didn't actually do this crime so 
when Rand gets back and sees what they're going to do to her, he convinces them to mitigate the punishment. So yeah, no wandering off with a water skin. This is her punishment. She can't wear anything except all the jewelry she was caught trying to steal. That's it. I mean, it's all a little bit more than just that, but like that's one of the most embarrassing parts. She's also one of the few cases that we see of Aiel more or less having servant slave situations going on that aren't guy shine. Mm, okay. Now, Rand knows that she honestly has any punish- punishment coming at her that might come at her, that she'd be deserving because thanks to Emodian, he actually knows she is a dark friend. Oh, absolutely. As is Kadir. Yeah. As is many of the others in that merchant group, maybe all of them. They're all dark friends. Bad people. But he can't let that information slip. He can't reveal what he knows. Why not? He can't especially let Moraine know. Because then he has to, A, talk about how he knows it, and B, explain that Jason Natale is uh, not just like a, a dark friend. He's actually a forsaken. He's, hi guys, this is my friend Asmodian. Uh, he's been here for a while. And right there is a problem. If it becomes known Rand is friends with Asmodian. Yeah. He went over to the dark. Kill him! Yeah, that everything comes crumbling down. But Rand needs Asmodian. And he can't take the time to explain it. So, here again with Avienda, Rand is shielding Ascendry. And in doing this, he's being a little naive. He's like, you know, all she wanted to do was bring me some wine here. Okay? Is that so hard, so bad? Now, Zach, I ask mm-hmm. you, if a mm-hmm. naked woman was making a point to come to you thinking you're alone, would you assume she was just coming to bring you something to drink? Yes, I'm a taken man. I would never assume that anyone would want anything untoward with me. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, but if it's this if it's a dark friend kind of woman, she might not care that you're taken. And I would be clueless about it and accept the drink and then send her on her way because I am a taken man who is So painful. you would be very rand like. Instead of randy, you'd be rand like. Gotcha. Correct. The fact that Rand shows apparent kindness to Essendry, being rather naive about this, just irritates Avienda further. But she's got some extra information here that she hadn't shared yet. She dismisses Asendri and orders her to report to the maidens what she had done. And it's clear Asendri knows she's in for something bad because she's moaning as she leaves. Avienda tells Rand, why would you try to lure Asendri of all women? And he's like, seriously? It's the last woman I would want to attract. If the two of us were the last people on earth, There'd be no more humans ever, okay? Nothing. And Avienda reveals, Sentry has been already punished. Additionally, because on seven different occasions, she has tried to sneak into your bed. He's like, what? (laughs) Nothing. All he can think now is, well, maybe she's aware that he interceded for her and that that's why she's not dead. So she's trying to make up for it you know or maybe assumes he likes her now from an outside perspective if you're punished as harshly as she has been and you keep getting caught for it and you keep trying that many times there's a reason it's being encouraged in some way you're getting rewarded in some way um from rand's and our perspective knowing she's a dark friend there's a good chance she's being punished for failing but also punished if she doesn't keep trying it's possible 
That would make some sense. And of course, Rand does know she's a dark friend, so he could potentially put that connection together. But the strange thing is here, he knows she's a dark friend. He knows Kadir's a dark friend. He knows a lot of those merchants are dark friends. He cannot even let them know that he knows. He has to play dumb or the gig could be up. The jig. The jig could be up. It would be a it jig. It's too mixed up. The man. dance. The gig is the thing you play. The jig is the thing that you dance. You do, yeah. You can do All a right. jig at a gig. <laughs> Avienda leaves Rand then. Again, he settles in, this time with the comfort of the extra blankets. And as he grows warm and comfortable, he does have the thought, you know, man, I should have washed. Ugh. But what do they use to wash here in sweat the waste? Tents. Yeah, and when he tries to use a sweat tent, half the time the maidens try to come in with him. And he's like, no, no, stay out. My sweat tent. And they just laugh. And he's he gets kind of tired of that. You and your Western sensibilities. Plus, putting his clothes back on inside the sweat tent is really kind of gross. See a picture, you know, getting dressed when you're all hot and sweaty? I mean, he on won't the one go hand, out. Yeah, naked. but also some people do. I mean, some people get dressed immediately after taking a shower and they're very hot. And sometimes that heat makes them immediately sweat once they step it's out of the shower. I'm not because I run cold, but... <laughs> As sleep does finally come to Rand, though, he dreams. He has he has a nightmare that involves a century, but that's quick and over. Mostly, he dreams of three women, Elaine, Min, and Avienda. Sometimes one after another, sometimes all of them together. And what he likes about these dreams is that none of these women cringe or bow to him as the dragon reborn. They just see him as a man. They see him as he is. And it makes for very pleasant dreams. I'm sure it does. We're not going to get into the details of those dreams. We're not we that kind of podcast. Semi-family friendly, <laughs> semi-family friendly podcast. That is the end of the chapter. That is the end of this episode. So this is where we're going to be moving into our spoiler room. If you're a first time reader, we just want to remind you to look at the show notes for all the ways you can connect with us. We'd love to see you on our Discord, Twitter, Mastodon, the new social media we're on. Facebook, Instagram, or even come and join us on Patreon. Become part of the Fantasy for the Ages support family. But you're going to want to leave now because Zach and I are both going to spoil the heck out of something. So I'm going to play the spoiler room. Let's see if I can do this without it going twice. The spoiler room. Hey, hey I only heard one. It. Just once. Whoop, whoop. All right. I'm gonna give the it a big roll. monster today. Oh, that's not bad. That's nah, not good. I got a six. I got a 17. <laughs> that's definitely good. So I'll be going first. Uh, yes. I'm going for some low hanging fruit here. We got to meet Melindra today, which is fantastic and fun. A friend of Matt's for a while. Also yeah. bad. Very bad. Don't trust. She will try to kill Matt eventually after also trying to get him to maybe go evil and he's going to have to kill her. And he's very sad about it, but he also does it. It's not going to end well. Anyway, your turn, Dad. <laughs> okay. Wow. I kind of wish you talked more because it was something I wanted to <laughs> spoil. And oh, okay. I, I think I remembered what it was that I wanted to talk about. And that is Rand's going mad. Yes, he is. Okay, he's hearing voices. He's he, not voices so much. He's here. He's picturing memories. He's seeing faces. 
Okay, he's gonna start hearing voices. This is where we get the first sign for sure that Rand's going mad. Now, it's gonna happen in a unique way because he's accessing information from his former life as Luce Theron Telemon. Mm-hmm. But this is really right here where we first get the absolute that Ilyana, you know, he has that that distinct memory of something he did see in a previous incarnation. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. I know when I first read the book and, and actually through multiple reads, I wasn't sure if he was mad or if these were actual memories and he just needed to blend them and stuff. But no, he, he goes mad. He does. Timing with how Matt is having the same memory experience and it kind of blends very well together to be like, I don't know what's going on here. Is this also related? Is this all that? And it's like, no, no. I mean, like the memories are, but the way that he's accessing and, and interpreting, no, it's madness. Yeah. So there you go. Confirmed right here. Fantasy for the ages. Rand starts to go mad right at the beginning of the fires of heaven. Technically, he was probably starting to go mad already before this, but it, this is when was he first has ago. an obvious sign. Yeah. All right. That's mine. Great. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, Zach. I'm going to run our outro then. Let's see it. Have we updated this yet? No, Mastodon does not show up here yet, but it is down in the show notes. All of these things or below Mastodon, which may end up being the new Twitter because, you know, Twitter's potentially dying. Um, Thanks, Elon. But it's okay. true. Uh, but we got a bunch of great followers, really nice people over there at Mastodon, so we're oh, yeah. enjoying, enjoying that. And we're not ditching Twitter yet. Whoops. It ended early. My finger clicked the button by accident. Sorry, guys. Uh, we do have an email <laughs> that was just showing up. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> I'm just gonna uh, kill this train, Rick, now. We'll talk to you next time.